Welcome to Thunder Noodle. Boogily, boogily, boogily. It's Monday. And I'm back. Yes. Back, bitches. Um, I'm not going to lie. I have done it yet again. I changed my mind on my case very last minute. <laughs> Why? Tell me everything. I just wasn't feeling it. I did the case and I was like all invested in it, the first one. Cool, cool, cool. Live, laugh, love. Love, love, love. And then afterwards I was like, wait, no, not live, laugh, love. Kind of lame, kind of boring, kind of eh. Aww. I not like it. But now I want to know that case as well. No, you know, it's stupid. So instead, today we're going to be doing a little bit of a more interesting case. Ooh. In my opinion. Well, we won't know. We don't know with other cases. <laughs> well, take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this case is actually quite interesting because it's another case that changed an act in our system. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cupcake has a little bit of competition here, huh? I see huh? so. Watch <laughs> out, girl. I actually think it could be quite interesting to maybe like in an episode touch on it and like kind of if we have any further questions about it because I can't answer the questions I know you'll probably have. <laughs> Sorne. It's okay. So um, thank you, Wixie. She's helped me gang. She had lots of information. She She's a legit bitch. Right? Is it going to be mini-sode or sode? Ish. Sode. We don't know. <laughs> we okay. don't know. Fantastic. Okay, I'm ready. so we're going to do the case on Marlene Lenberg. She was more commonly known as the scissor murderess. Spooky music. It sounds... Oh, yeah, it's South African. Yeah. I have concluded it's South African. Yes. Well, her name is Marlene. So... <laughs> Not Marlene. Not Marlene. 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 She was... The scissoress. No. <laughs> the scissor murderess. Uh, <laughs> it's Monday, okay? <laughs> Hold on. Give me a minute. Okay. I'm all caught up. <laughs> so... Caught up. Got me feeling it. Caught up. Okay. What? We're good. We're good. Okay. We're good. I took them pills now. I'm going to go... Cook. <laughs> if I get a little bit confused, just bear with me. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we, we got do. This. We do. We got this. We got this. So she was born on the 15th of October, 1955. So she's a little Libra baby, which is crazy because I love me a little Libra baby. I love me a Libra. Love. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Libra. Am I a Libra? You are a Libra. I'm a yeah, I can ask you. I'm a I'm on the fence because within a minute it could have changed. Type yeah. There's a name for it. I can't remember the name, but it's quite an interesting thing. But Casp. Thank you. Mm. Even mm. me, I know things. You see, look at us, smarty pantses. She was 18 years old when the crimes, well, crime was committed. Mm-hmm. Our case today is explaining why love affairs can go very wrong very fast. Ooh, this is going to be juicy. Mm, Lots of the sparseness. It was obviously in South Africa when this happened. The case sets a precedent in South Africa in terms of juveniles and capital punishments. While the Criminal Procedure Act of 1977 permitted the sentencing to death, of a person under 18s, 
S.V. Lindbergh made clear that an abundant presumption given the presupposition presupposition yes yes of immaturity would be in favor of a prison sentence for minors convicted of capital crimes basically they're saying they kids they make really stupid decisions their brains are not matured you can't kill them for that okay is she she's 18 when this happens yeah, so technically she is an adult. But wasn't it considered in South Africa back in the Dizzle mm. that 21 was the... I think so. From what I got from this case, that's what I made. That's the assumption I made. Because there's a... I know there was a saying that said... Oh, a word. I don't even know what that's called in English. Mondag. I don't know what that means. Of age. Oh, Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why do we have such... <laughs> Afrikaans. Just being fucking Afrikaans. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. I feel like from what I understand from the case, that was kind of the vibe I got. But I don't know. I wasn't so allowed. you were <laughs> considered of age when you were 21, basically. I think so. So, that's why she was considered a minor. Yeah. I kind of want to dig into that. That's what I'm saying. I don't have the answers to the questions you're going to ask. You see. I knew from the beginning. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I went in your pre-warning, you girl. <laughs> I did. So basically what this is saying is she was really young. She's immature. She's a kid. Mm. Is it fair then to execute this child technically? Yes. Because of an immature state of mind. Okay. But when I look back and I look at the case, I don't know if the death penalty was needed. But I feel as if she knew what she, it, what she, she wasn't an idiot. I don't know how else to put it. This girl mm. knew what she was doing. She's not dumb. And you'll see the lengths she went to. Okay. So, February 1972. This is where we're going to start our story. Okay. Marlene began her first job as a receptionist at Red Cross Children's Hospital in Cape Town. And she started working... At an orthopedic workshop alongside Christian van der Linde. Ooh. He was the workshops workshops <laughs> workshops chief technician. It said that she was very smart, this Marlingo. She is very smart. She was in her growing up, she was very conservative and quiet and to herself because her parents were very strict. Apparently they weren't I'm pretty sure she had siblings and they weren't really allowed to go out I've, it says somewhere in here it took her a very long time to go to the movie theater for the first time yeah south africans back then i think some of them are still stuck in those ways yeah but especially for what community you could mm. say was extremely conservative yeah it in Gekerk, mm -hmm. for those people who don't know it's basically this church denomination that oh i think they only recently stopped wearing hats to church man it's a it's quite it's quite it's intense it's intense yeah her parents were quite strict she lived a very restricted life yes but she was very smart and she was very clued up you know she was a 
Smart girl. How old was she when she started working? 16. Okay, cool. So she starts working and she said, it said, I'm not going to say she said, let me say it said, that I'm not saying it as in she as in it. I mean, it, it is, is said. said. <laughs> <laughs> I get you, girl. That from the minute she met Christian, there was a little bit of a, a crush. Ooh. However, Christian was old enough to be this girl's dad. Oh. <gasps> He was, I think, like 46, somewhere around there, and she was 16. Very big age gap. But she said from the minute he welcomed her, her heart just did a little little extra skip of a beat. Dum, dum. Mm-hmm. Dum, dum. Okay. I'm kind of so creeped out. It said that her dad, her real dad, her real dad, <laughs> it said that Marlene's dad didn't really speak display affection to his daughters he had never been that type of person he didn't allow them to really socialize with other people cue the daddy issues yeah it all just falls into place yes it was a very opposite you know her dad was like know this know that no go to school come home study sleep the image i'm getting is he is an army lieutenant (laughs) And you will do what I say because I said so. Exactly. And my rules are my way. the law. Yeah. My way or the highway. You are bitch. living under my roof. I yeah. get that. Okay. So it said that when she met Christian, that she kind of got this warm, friendly father figure vibe from him. She was very drawn to him from very, very early on in her working at this place with him they then struck up a a father-daughter type relationship but she was having a bit of a crush but there was a little bit of a crush underlying there do you think from his side it was more okay we're gonna get there okay Mm -hmm, i'm jumping Mm -hmm. because of this relationship they started to form this father-daughter weird thing going on they then started growing quite close over the next couple of months april 1973 a year after they first met, the couple begins an affair. Oh, no. So now she's like 17 at this time, which I think is madness. But cool, cool, cool. So throughout the rest of that year, they would meet up in secret in different places and full <laughs> around for the rest of that year yes. in secret. They did some naughty business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Early 1974, their intimacy stopped because Christian's wife started getting anonymous phone calls informing her that her husband is having an affair now they didn't stay state who he was having the affair with but she they were they were telling her they were like "Mm, girl bitch he cheated Mm -hmm. okay Mm, go dig your keys into the side of his car and slash his tires you know yes Mm -hmm. yes yes do all the wifey things yes exactly then christian came to this conclusion that they were being watched someone was watching them and someone was spilling the beans but i mean even to work colleagues you know so it was said that they would often go out at at work not at work but the work peoples they would go out after work and you know go get drinks or whatever the case may be and she would obviously go with but and a lot of people there would see this very close relationship between Marlene and Christian. I don't know. Maybe someone put two and two together. I'm not sure. But someone was telling. Someone was like, mm-mm-mm. So despite the fact 
that Christian had said to Marlene he was never going to leave his wife for her because of his kids. She believed if she could get this woman out the picture, they would live a very happy life together. But yeah, Yes. But he was like, "Mm -mm." so his wife's name is Susanna. He explained he's not leaving Susanna for her. They have kids together. They have a life. And I feel like this is a very common thing. Not common. Maybe that's the wrong word. But a thing back then was having these affairs was normal in a in a way but they weren't going to leave these wives they were like we have the family we have the kids we're not destroying this but i will fuck around on the side yes i the wife is doing the wifey things yes because she's cooking she's cleaning mm-hmm. she's being she's wife material exactly your fuck material yes oh i in a way i kind of understand it to be the wife was the conservative, mm. presentable. That's what you were looking for in mm. a wife. Mm. It yeah. wasn't a lady in the streets, freaking the sheets type vibe Mm-mm-mm. looking for your wife. No, no, no. You were either a lady in the streets or you were a freak in the sheets. Yes. You were. You could not it be It was both. one or the other. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because of this, Marlene starts becoming desperate. She's like, I want this man. I want him and I want him now. But he was like, I'm not leaving her. Sorry for you. So because of this, she starts thinking about moving to Cape Town. She's like, okay, maybe I need to... Okay, where were they living now, currently? Oh, not leaving to Cape Town. Leaving Cape Town. My bad. Sorry. Okay. She wanted to go to Joburg. She was talking about going to Joburg and leaving Cape Town. And somehow, Christian persuaded her to stay. Because I don't want to leave my girlfriend. Oh, my God. But I also don't want to leave my wife. Okay. I want best of both worlds. I want to be Hannah Montana. You this know? This little piece of bread mm. will be butter- buttered. On both sides. On all of the sides. Yeah. Some okay. around the edge, too. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> yes. So he, I don't even know, I don't know how, but he convey, convinced her, conveyed. He convinced her, because it's Monday, it's not going good. Uh-uh. But he convinced her to stay. So she did. That was around July time, so mid-year. By September, she got tired of it. Marlene was like, no, I'm done. I'm done being your little side sticky. I'm done with your wife. I I want you to leave her. She decided she's going to go and tell Susanna. She's going to tell her what's going on. And now she's 17 years old. She's turning 18 in October. Mm -hmm. So they had an affair for for quite some time. So she's like, fuck this. I'm going to go tell your wife. She phones Susanna and Susanna answers the phone and she explains that her and Christian are very much in love and we're seeing each other every night. She wanted to know what Susanna intended to do about this because, you know, you're, you're standing in my way, girl. I'm busy banging your husband every night. What are you going to do about this? Are you going to leave? Are you going to fuck off? Because I don't want you here. That's how I'm imagining this conversation's going. <laughs> oh, wow. Susanna? She puts the phone down. <laughs> she just hangs up. She's like, okay, bitch, bye. And I can just imagine getting a phone call as like, a, let's say, a like 35-year-old woman hearing on the other side of the phone this 17-year-old girl going off. <laughs> ah, fucking your husband. What are you going to do about it, bitch? That's, yeah. That's the image I have in my head and I find that hilarious yes very much so and i kind of want to 
<laughs> see the immaturity, but on the other uh, on the other end, <laughs> how many times has this scenario played out mm. where it was two forty year old women? Literally, literally. So I, on the one hand, the other hand, the both of the bruiki. I feel that we can't necessarily write this down saying that she's 16, she's immature, Mm. she's 17, sorry, Mm. immature, and the wife is being extremely... This is just two different personality types. You know? Yeah. The one is just confrontational, the other one's not. That's my opinion. I just think I would have paid good money to listen to that conversation. Yes. I really would have. (laughs) Obviously, Marlene is taken back by this. She's like, okay, well, I've just told this wife her husband's banging some 17-year-old girl and she doesn't, she doesn't care. Yeah. So she takes a few weeks and she thinks, hmm, what am I going to do about it now? And she's like, you know what? I'm going to phone her again. This bitch thinks she heard the last of me. She didn't. Hmm. So she phones her again. I love Wixie. Wixie goes, she telephoned her. <laughs> I love it that. was probably on a landline. It probably though. was. So it was like was in the 19 what foot sex. So, so there was no cell phone, no Mm-mm. caller ID. Mm-mm-mm-mm. This one is phoning on the home phone. Yeah, girl. Wish you. Yeah. So she telephoned. So she phones. This time, Susanna says, okay, let's meet up. Let's have a chat. Let's have some girl time. Talk about this. Go have a tea. Mm-hmm. They decide they're going to meet up. And they meet in Belleville in October that year. So now nearing when she's about to turn 18. So initially, Marlene goes in thinking that they could sort out some kind of arrangement concerning Christian. Now, I just find it very funny how these two women are speaking about this man's life and what they're going to do. And he has absolutely no say in what's happening. (laughs) That is so... Like, they like, okay, so which one of us is going to get him? And he doesn't even have a choice. <laughs> He's just going to be told, yo, <laughs> you get that one. And that is also probably a much more common thing than you'd expect. <laughs> the the wife is just sorting out this man's life. His side bitch is trying to sort out <laughs> his life. And he's just sitting there in the corner watching his rugby, having his... His burovors. His burovors, Yeah. I just find that hilarious. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Crazy stuff. <laughs> Crazy stuff. I would have wanted to be a fly on that wall. Dude. <laughs> Same. <laughs> to her surprise, Susanna turns around and informs her, I'm not going to give my husband a divorce, actually. We have kids together. We have a home. We have a life. But you know what? If you don't mind sharing him, I don't mind either. We can share. That is what Susanna says to Marlene. Bitch, if some 17-year-old... <laughs> I would rip her throat out with my bare hands. As if I had to be <laughs> in that conversation, you would read of me in... You would listen to the, me on Thunder Noodle. <laughs> the Daily Sun Grant paper. Mm. would have some fucking story <laughs> she and tunes now we can do you share. think was she did she have a job 
or was she a stay-at-home mom? From what I can understand, I'm pretty sure she was a stay-at-home mom. I think it was he was at work, breadwinner, supporting the family. She stayed at home, took care of the kids. Yeah. Whatever the case may be. That makes sense. So I don't want to be inconvenienced. Mm. So it's fine. Yeah, like you're... It's fine. I have to go find another husband that's going to support my life and like help me and, you know, I don't want to do all that. Yeah, I don't want to necessarily play on the thing that stay-at-home moms aren't what do you call it it's because so many men would be yeah it's not a real job and i think females as well would there's this whole controversy i think a little bit about Mm. stay-at-home moms yeah but if she if that was to be her job say for instance a nanny if you have an au pair or a nanny and you have to pay them to do what a stay-at-home mom does Mm. the husband would need like three jobs right on the one hand I want to say, yes, what she was doing was legit. But I also think that because of the way that stay-at-home moms are seen, Mm. she was almost fooled into thinking that this this isn't going to work Mm. if I try and do this by myself. Exactly. Instead of using his own money to sue him for all he's worth. And I also feel like during that time... It was very frowned upon to have a divorce. Divorce, But not just that. Imagine what people would think finding out this woman just got a divorce from her husband because he's banging some 17-year-old receptionist. I feel as if that would also create a lot of image issues. And I feel as though people during that time were very concerned about their image and the way their community viewed them. Imagine Desperate Housewives Wisteria Lane. We are hiding what we can hide. It's fine. Mm. Okay. okay, okay. Mm. This shocks Marlene. She's taking it back. She's like, oh, what? This was not what I wanted. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, fuck this man. I'm leaving him. You have him, bitch. Meantime, it was, we could share. I don't mind. You have him this week, I'll have him next. You know? I'll wash your lipstick stains out of his collar. Mm. Don't worry, girl. I got this. I got this. So Marlene very quickly comes to the realization that this is the separation is not going to happen. So around this time, Marlene meets a man named Martinez. The reason they meet is because he comes to her place of work as he has suffered an injury in a motorcycle accident that led him to lose his one leg he goes to this orthopedic workshop to have an artificial limb fitted martinez was unemployed and it is said that his disabilities both physically and socially destroyed his self-esteem okay so now he was also in pain apparently something wasn't fitting right or whatever so he had to go get his leg fixed okay for this artificial limb and this is where he meets marlene for the first time. It's said that because of his self-esteem issues and the shit he was going through and the fact that he's unemployed and he's going through a really hard time in his life, he was this made him particularly susceptible to Marlene's approach to him. Oh. But I don't know. I feel like maybe that's a bit of a stretch. In my opinion. But hey, whatever. So Marlene first contacted him by letter. She wrote to him. Oh, so she wrote this letter to him, but she made the address, the back 
like the postal address or whatever back at the workplace so it wouldn't come back to her her home address or anything like that okay and in the letter she asked him to come and see her at the workshop adding that if he was clever he could still earn good money she's kind of in a way playing on the fact that he had these disabilities and whatever so in the beginning i can understand why he went back i mean you're unemployed you have disabilities any job opportunity you get you're kind of grabbing because i think in that time as well people weren't as open to helping people with disabilities get jobs and things like that he obviously goes because he's thinking okay maybe she has a job for me or something something so he he's like okay cool, cool i'm gonna go do you think a little part of him also maybe hey this young beautiful girl is talking to me possibly possibly yeah so when he arrived at the workshop she goes into her bag and gives him a one round a whole one round and he, she asks him to meet her at Rondebosch town hall okay at 7 p.m that evening what is the equivalent of one rand to today's i think then it must have been like 50 bucks or something i don't know yeah so she gives him the one rand tells him meet me here 7 p.m then she also gives him a bottle of gin and then just before he leaves she tunes oh by the way i need you to murder someone for me (laughs) (laughs) wink wink love ya So they meet up, whatever, she explains the What scenario. of this man told her that this would be... No, I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. No, I don't know. He declines at first saying, uh, no, thank you. I don't want to be hung, hanged for this if I get caught. Because at this time, the death penalty was still in place. So he tunes in, no, uh-uh, I'm not going to do this and then get hanged for it. Are you yes. cook? But... After some discussion, he finally agrees. He went to go think about it. Mm-hmm. Was was he promised some more some more rands? No, no, no. Nothing that I could find. Apparently it was just, here's your one rand, here's your bottle of gin. Okay. Go kill someone for me. Then there must have been some sort of allure to her. Surely. You know? I mean, she was pretty. Yeah, but technically she, it's there's no cash transaction she already yeah. gave him the one round the one round and the gin yeah so he must have thought that something that might not be necessarily comparable to comparable to money was on the table because mm-hmm. you're not just gonna go do this for funsies for funsies no you would think several days later he went to christian's home where Susanna was in boston belleville Obviously, Marlene had given given him the address, later claiming that he actually wasn't going to go and kill Susanna. He was actually just going to go and warn her that her life was in danger. Do the old switcheroo. Yeah. Take my money, take my gin, and then I'm going to throw you under the bus for it. Yes. But instead of warning Susanna of Marlene's plans, he simply just went, knocked on her door, and asked her for some money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my man bailed yeah he was like okay i'm just gonna ask this bitch for money i don't care but she said she didn't have anything and she went back inside she said sorry dude because according to her there's this one-legged beggar outside of the house <laughs> you know 
So she's like, no, dude, I don't have money for you. Sorry. And she goes back inside. Yeah. A week later, Martinez and Marlene meet once again. He then admitted that he was too afraid to do it. He was too scared. He's a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> so she gave him a radio. <laughs> Did he not confess to her what he was supposed to do? No, he didn't tell her that he was going to go warn her. He just said, I know I was supposed to kill her, but I'm scared. Okay. And then she ended up giving him a radio. Yeah. She was like, for- no, no, no. So let me finish. Oh, sorry. I'm mid-sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so she gives him a radio. And promised that she would help him to receive an artificial limb if he went and did the crime. So, he goes back. On this occasion, occasion, <laughs> on this occasion, he simply just walked past the house. <laughs> he didn't even go up to the door. <laughs> no attempt to enter the house, no attempt to murder her. He just walked past. <laughs> I'm like, wow, all of this effort. Shortly after this, a day or two or whatever goes by and Marlene decides okay I'm gonna send this man another letter because why the fuck is no one dead yet yes why is my man still with his wife (laughs) yeah she sends him another letter again urging him to go through with the murder using a knife if he had to she got another message to him asking him to telephone her at work so she sent in the letter. I'm assuming in that letter she was like, call me. Mm. We need to talk. Bruh. He phones her. And during this conversation, she insists that he goes through with the murder. She even promised to give him a car and to have sex with him after the crime had been committed. Mm. October 1974. Set the scene. She hands in her notice at the workshop. And she told Christian that she's going to leave Cape Town. And she's going to go. She's done waiting around for this man. On the 24th of October, Marlene collected Martinez from his home. And they drove together to Belleville. To okay. She was like, I'm going to go with you. and I'm going to make sure this shit gets done. They went in her car. Martinez had a hammer, which was supposed to be used to kill Susanna. Marlene drops him off in the vicinity not like directly outside the house but in the area then drives off she's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go this is how far i'll take you yes (laughs) shortly after that martinez was obviously now i'm assuming like in the street of the house and Susanna sees him and now she's like a little bit nervous because now she's like i've seen him now quite a few times in this area and he's been to my house Yes. You know when you just get that eerie vibe of like, yes. there's something going on here. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like this. And I'm assuming there wasn't too many one-legged men walking around. Okay. So she phones the police station. Martinez is picked up by the police around two blocks away from her house. And he's taken to the police station. There it said that he was beaten by police told not to return to the area now because of this continuous failure of committing this crime marlene starts to lose her patience a little bit and she's kind of like now what now what so she's like i'm gonna do this myself i'm gonna take matters into my own hands and a few days after martinez's failed attempt she approaches a new person and his name is rob newman a 24-year-old engineering student whom she knew. 
she asked to borrow his pistol. I don't know how she knew he had a pistol, but he, she knew and she said, I want to use it. He said, uh-uh, no thanks. I'm not just going to give you not my... Not a little lady. No, I'm not going to give you my gun. When he refused, she was like, okay, that's fine. You don't have to give it to me, but will you kill someone for me? <laughs> okay. And he refused again. No, bitch. I'm not going to give you my gun and I'm not going to kill someone for you. Crazy thoughts. But on the 28th of October, October, (laughs) on the 28th of October, Newman's pistol was stolen from his room. He reported the theft to the police and then suggested that Marlene was a likely suspect. Around 8.30 a.m. on the morning of Monday, the 4th of November, 1974, Marlene arrived at Martinez's home again. She said that her car was parked and she was on her way to Joburg. She's leaving Cape Town. But before she leaves, she needs Martinez to come with her to Susanna's house. He claimed in his statement that it wasn't until she handled handed him the gun on the way there. So he was already in the car. On the Now, how you don't put two and two together and know what you're doing, I think that's a bit of bullshit anyways on the way there she gives him the gun and he says that's when he realized she wasn't just gonna go there to say bye to her love affair i'm this is just ringing the bells of he thought they were something more than just whatever they are you know yeah so they arrive outside her house just after 9 a.m and Susanna was alone inside it was a monday the husband was at work. And now from this point, you're going to get two different sides of the story. Obviously, there's Martinez's side and then there's Marlene's side. Yeah. There is never going to be one truthful answer that both can con- conclude yeah. and agree on. Marlene claimed that she got out of the car, rang the doorbell and returned to the car. Ding dong ditch top vibe. That is when Martinez enters the home alone and then committed the murder. That's her side. She's like, I don't know what happened. I didn't see. I wasn't there. I rang the doorbell and I left. However, Martinez says that they acted together throughout this incident. They went into the house together and they did this together. His account was supported by a neighbor of Susanna's. Her name is Mrs. Marie. So on the morning in question, um, this neighbor had walked past Marlene's car twice in the space of 10 to 12 minutes, I'm assuming like she walked up the road and then like walked back down, top vibe. Whether she went to the shops or was just going on a hot girl walk, I don't know. Yeah. But she walked past and both times the car was empty. That's why they say it's kind of just the... Yeah, and she obviously didn't recognize the car in her hood. Okay. Exactly. Okay. But I mean, you walk past something, you look inside, you can see there's no one there, you carry on. You probably don't think anything of it, but when something like this happens, you think back and you're like, okay, but no one was in that car. Especially if you are also a housefrau. Yeah. Then if there's a mysterious car parked outside of your neighbor's house, what are you doing? Why is there a car outside Mm -hmm. your house when your husband's not here? Are you having an affair? Yes. Yes. It was parked opposite Susanna's house, obviously. On both occasions, car is empty. Martina said that after she rang, after Marlene rang the doorbell, they went into the house together. I'm assuming the door was just open. So they like rang and just like walked right in. I don't even think they gave the bitch a chance to come and see who was here. And that was a thing back in the day where people wouldn't lock their doors. Yeah. Especially if you are in a bougie area. Yeah. Yeah. When Susanna saw them both, she became frightened and she threatened to phone the police. 
She attempted to get away, but Marlene tripped her. What a bitch. <laughs> I feel like that's such an age-appropriate response. <laughs> I'm just going to trip you up. So she fell and she hit her head against the door. While Susanna was on the floor, apparently Marlene then struck her on the jaw with the back end of the pistol. Okay. Then she, Marlene instructed Martinez. So the gun was handed back to Marlene Mm. at some point. Yes, at some point. She then instructs him to start like strangling her. Susanna now. Susanna, yes. And she was kind of semi-conscious at this point. I'm assuming she hit her quite hard. And yeah. the end of a gun is quite, quite fucking yeah. strong. Yeah. So she's like in and out of consciousness, not really all there. And now this man is on top of her, fighting her and attacking her. Throughout this altercation, somewhere along the lines, there was a pair of scissors that was lying around. I was waiting for when the scissors were going to yeah. Marlene picks them up and she gives them to Martinez. Martinez says he remembers stabbing Susanna three times. But the pathologist later noted that seven stab wounds, stab wounds, stab wounds were suffered, mm. not just three. Inflicted, so, yeah. Inflicted, yes. So whether he only stabbed her three times and Marlene went back and did it more, I'm not entirely sure. Or he assumes he stabbed her three times, meantime he stabbed her seven. I'm not sure. He, however, is sticking with his story that he only stabbed her three times. Six of which penetrated her chest. Six six stab wounds were in her chest. I don't know where the seventh was. I'm assuming like on an arm or, or something. But after the murder, Marlene squirted green dye over Martinez, using a gas pistol Susanna had asked her husband to buy her after she had seen Martinez in their neighborhood. Now, I'm not really sure why that happened or, like, what the story is behind that. But I don't know if she was trying to, like, incriminate him. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking Of, now. like, okay, cool. You're marked. It's in, yeah, it's in the house and now it's on him. You, police already have seen him around the area. I was able so, to get this green dye on him. You know, so, okay. so assuming that if they... So she's setting it up. Yeah. Oh. So I kind of... The, the, the thing I'm seeing is she knows that he's been beaten by the police already and been warned not to come back. And the police know Susanna's the one that called the police to, to warn him. So if she somehow magically ends up dead, their first suspect is going to be this random guy that was at her house a few weeks ago. How was now, Marlene aware of this pistol, though? I don't know. Do you think maybe her... Her lover told her. Yeah, probably, the husband. Probably. Or if she was his receptionist, maybe she ordered it. Maybe. That is a very valid point. That definitely could have happened. That is sneaky. Yes. So after warning Martinez that she would deny any involvement in the murder if he went to the police, she took him home. So she was like, I just want you to know I'm not going down for this. So if you rat on me, I'm denying it. Which I think is kind of fucked up, but whatever. After that, she leaves. She goes to fucking Joburg. She's like, cheers, but I'm out. On her way there, she just so happened to collect two speeding tickets at Bayfort West on the journey. So police then phone Christian and they say to him, hey, listen, there's 
been a murder. We need you to come and identify the body. Just in case. You know, classic so procedure. While, while she's Mar- on her way to Josie. So Marlene is speeding off. Someone phones the police and informs them that something suspicious is going on at the house. Mm-hmm. Police stop Marlene and other police show up at the house and discover the body. Yes. Then they phone Christian. Now, this is really weird to me. And this also caused a lot of speculation in the case. But when Christian came to the home, he casually went there, took his foot, pushed her body, rolled it over, looked at her and said, yep, that's her and carried on. A lot of people then with this response thought he somehow knew what was going on or knew that this was going to happen or something either involved or knew about it but they were like what husband is just gonna go kick his wife roll her over and be like "Mm, yeah that's my dead wife people were obviously Mm. like what the fuck even police they they were like this is very callous and almost as if he had been expecting it that's what police say it was suggested at the time that christian had influenced marlene in order to get her to murder his wife but this was not proven and he was never charged so, getting to the arrest, Martinez had kept both of the pistols that were used at the crime scene. And they were later seized by police. When the police asked him why he hadn't discarded of the guns, like, why would you incriminate yourself like that? He simply turned around and said, well, it's dangerous to throw pistols away. Susanna's body was discovered at about 1pm by her daughter. During this time, Christian had also tried to phone his wife a number of times that morning ring 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 no answer ring 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 no answer eventually afternoon comes he's worried he's like why is this bitch not answering a fucking phone i'm gonna phone my daughter ring 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 hi daughter hi dad i'm worried about your mommy why is she not answering my phone i don't know pa let me go and have a quick look so he found her at work yes and he's like listen i don't know what's going on she's like okay my lunch break's coming up at one i'll go during my lunch break and have a squiz i'm gonna go check on her maybe she's busy doing stuff Maybe she's had a fall. I don't know. Let me go check it out. Yeah. When she arrived at the house, it was all locked up, which I don't understand how they managed to do that. But they did. Do you think it was one of those doors where you don't have to That's physically like Yes, you don't have to physically lock it with a key when you leave? Maybe. But needless to say the door is locked. So she she does the whole, I'm going to look through Peeping inside, yeah. She sees her mom lying on the floor. And she's like, mm-mm. She then, I'm assuming, phones the police and is like, I can't get in my house. My mom's lying there. Something's wrong. Bad vibes. But she has to run somewhere to phone the police because cell phones aren't applicable. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe she, she went, went to the nosy neighbor. <laughs> so police immediately began an intensive murder investigation. Their chief suspect was a crippled colored man who had been seen in the area on at least two oh, occasions all of prior to the murder. So, so much there, sense to now. be fair, to be fair, there our assumption is right. Their first initial suspect was Martinez because of what had happened in the past. And this is why they beat him mm. because it's white police officers in apartheid south africa why is this one-legged colored man walking around in a white neighborhood we're beating your ass when this privileged white woman phones saying oh there's a weird creepy man people take note of that yes then she's found dead your instant 
assumption is going to be the creepy man she phoned and complained about. Yes. So that's who, who became their lead suspect, I guess you want to call it that. Due to this whole thing. Shebang. Shebang. They obviously go and try and find Martinez. In fact, it was because of Martinez that Susanna insisted that her husband buy her a pistol, a dye pistol. At first, nobody considered that Marlene was involved or that she had even hired an assassin, as they call him, a hitman. So she wasn't really on their radar in the beginning. But for the next few weeks, police tried to figure out who this who could have done this they then find martinez because they didn't have his exact identity they literally like picked him up on the side of the road beat him up warned him and like told him to fuck off it wasn't like they sat there and investigated him and got to know him and things like that took his name and his yeah, fingerprints no, none it, of that also it's a very easy to spot that person you yes. know it's not someone who's just like got a common face common look yeah. type vibe so they had to kind of figure out who this man was. And eventually they did. But they couldn't find him. They found out who it was, but they couldn't find him specifically. But around 7.30 a.m. on the 13th of November, a, ba- a breakthrough o- occurred. The lieutenant on the case, Roland Free, He was a lieutenant of Brixton Murder and Robbery Squad in Johannesburg. Went to see Marlene who was staying at her uncle's house in Bryanston and asked her to accompany him to the Brixton police station. So where, she made her way to Johannesburg? Yeah. Okay. Where he wanted to ask her some questions. On the way to the police station, she admitted to the police that Christian was her lover. Okay. She added that she had, expe- she had been expecting the police to contact her since she first heard about the murder of Susanna from her mother but she admits that they were lovers when asked if she had any association with a colored man named martinez she denied the allegation are we surprised no she said Mm. she was gonna do that Faree also asks her if she had once requested a robert newman to give her his pistol so that she could get rid of susanna she admitted that she had but that the request had been made in fun how you just make a joke about, hey, <laughs> let me borrow your pistol so I can kill someone. Ha <laughs> ha, JK. Yeah, no. Ah, uh, but dodgy. So although Faree had no specific evidence to tie her to the murder, it did strike him that she seemed unnaturally nervous at the times of this interview. Shaking in her boots. Yeah. She knew. She knew. So while Faree was on the telephone to Cape Town, to the Cape Town police what station there was another detective he began asking her like more questions interrogating her the usual and she suddenly blurted out that she took martinez to susanna's house waited for him outside and took him home after they tripped her up Mm -hmm. okay so she slips up and but again she's sticking with that story of she never went inside yeah that she was in in the car the whole time she didn't know blah 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 which i think is crazy because obviously the die got on him and stuff and um he wouldn't have done that to himself you're not yeah. you, not an idiot or but, they, she reckoned they would assume that susanna yeah, maybe she did it yeah valid she says no she waited outside she was then arrested and formally charged with the murder 
Okay. Of Susanna. Later that day, she made a full statement in which she admitted that she had asked Martinez if he would do away with Susanna. In the statement, she claimed that she had waited in the car while her accomplice had committed the crime. Martinez was um, arrested that same day. The trial of the two began at the Cape Town Supreme Court on the 5th of March, 1975. So it was actually quite like quite a quick process that ended up happening. The trial drew hundreds of spectators who fought for seats in the packed courtroom. So a lot of people were invested in this. They were like, what the fuck is going on? After a hearing which lasted seven days, during which the state called more than 30 witnesses, the judge, Justice Demont, and his two assessors, A.J. Fannikarg and F. Fonsale Smith, deliberated overnight and returned verdicts of guilty for both of the accused. The court found no extenuating circumstances. Both Marlene and Martinez were sentenced to death. Two months later, the case was reopened on an appeal. In 1975, the death sentences were set aside. Marlene was sentenced to 20 years imprisonment and Martinez to 15 Martinez, however, was released in June 1986 and became an evangelical evangelical preacher. Yes. While Marlene was paroled in December of that same year, which is fucking mind-blowing to me. How can you go from sentencing someone to death to not even letting them serve their full sentence? Yeah. I don't understand how that... Okay, cool. Slay. However, Marlene ended her life on in October 2015, five days before her 60th birthday. Heavy. She had suffered from osteoporosis for years and had been diagnosed with breast cancer. She could no longer take the severe pain she was in and committed suicide alone at home. And in relative obscurity, they say. Martinez died in a car accident in 1992 on the N7 in the Western Cape. The third member of the tragic triangle, Christian, he died a lonely man in 1983. I think from natural causes. Maybe had a heart attack. I don't know, but nothing crazy. After the trial, however, he moved to Krugersdorp so that he could visit his wife's grave on her family's farm in Michalisburg Mountains every day. He expressed remorse of ever having met Marlene. I find all of that crazy considering when you found her dead body, you kicked her over and was like, oh, it's her. After the trial, a law known as the Marlene Lenberg Clause was passed in South Africa, preventing convicted criminals from profiting from their crimes since it was believed that Marlene planned to sell her story to the press for a large sum of money. I wonder if that clause is still... Because obviously after that, um, the... This was pre-constitution, mm. as we have heard from Cupcake. I yeah. wonder if that clause is still... I'll look, look. I wonder if it's still named after her. I'm assuming that they probably have a similar clause. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it got thrown out completely. And we assume it's still in place because there was another case that we might actually do. We'll see. Um, where another murderer had a very crazy case and was convicted and sent to j- jail. I almost said jizzle. <laughs> and also 
there was speculation that she was going to sell her story to journalists to make profits off of it and was also denied to do that and referred back to this Marlene Lenberg case or clause. Yeah, so we're assuming that it's still... We are speaking heavily under correction. It might have a different name now. Maybe. But it is often referred to. Yes, as this. We will have... Cupcake. Confirm exactly what it is called now. Mm. But that is actually good. I agree. Why should you be able to make money? Didn't like... Because OJ Simpson wrote a book. Was it OJ Simpson? But he I'm got away assuming, with it. Yeah, he wrote a book. Yeah, yeah he yeah, did. Yeah. How and I got away with it, or something like that. But and do you think it's directly profiting off of it? So you can't write. You can't even write your own story. I'm not sure the exact ins and outs about it. I would hope that that's the case, because I would hope they would kind of cover that loophole of oh well, if she did it, blah 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 blah. Like if yeah. she wrote the book, blah blah blah. So the actual criminal. Cannot profit from it. I but say, hope for instance, that's the case. Your sister writes the book, and she can profit from it. You just cannot receive. Yeah, any I money just for don't it. think you can because it's the same as journalists can write a story about it, but she can't sell her side of the story and be like, "Oh, pay me for an interview, and I'll tell yeah. you the truth." She can't do that. Yeah, they m- there's loopholes. There has I'm to be. Pretty freaking sure. Well, there's loopholes in fucking everything. There's there has to be a way that they can go about it. I'm sure. My case that I'm doing on Friday, mm. big loophole. Oh, fuck. Yep. Fuck. I just thought this case was super interesting yep. because, like, imagine being 17, 18, and literally throwing your whole life away for a man that could be old enough to be your dad. Like, girl, when Susanna said. We can share. You should have just taken it or left it. Yeah. Mm. Pretty uh, much. You should have just taken what you could have gotten, honestly. <laughs> at this. Save yourself the trouble. Just save yourself. You were sharing him for a year anyways. Yeah. <laughs> what was some more time going to do? This is crazy. But um, don't have affairs, guys. Yeah. And if you have any questions, please go comment on our Instagram. And then if we can maybe try and find out because i'm pretty Mm. sure other people have questions as well yeah and then we can guys talk to us get down to the bottom of this please we want (laughs) to we want to speak to you guys (laughs) but um that's sewed monday i want to say many it wasn't many i was very confused in the beginning so i apologize if i um confaculate i'm gonna make it sound noise again don't you stress but um that's it and that's our case of sewed monday um, it said that she was one of our youngest and most notorious evil masterminds. The scissor murderess. Murderess, yeah. Not the scissoress. No. No, no. But we will see you on Wednesday for What the Law. Yes. And then on Friday for full episode Friday. And I think on Wednesday we're discussing the death penalty. Oh my goodness. Yes, we are. So, Ooh. wow, this can go hold on to your seats, guys. It's going to be a bumper ride. Yeah. Have a good week. Touch some grass. Make some, some reasonable some choices. Make some reasonable choices. Please make reasonable choices. Yes. And, guys, no money is enough to commit murder for someone. No. So, just say no. Don't succumb to peer pressure. <laughs> but have a good week. And we will see you on Wednesday for a midweek break. 
catch up sish thing. Bye. Bye.